everybody. Welcome to the Anything But Typical podcast. Hey, and we have two Anything But Typical guests, and um, we're going to start with their F3 nicknames first. Carl Dore, Dore Me, and his son, Matt Faso La. Those are their uh, nicknames, Dore Me and Faso La. They're they were much more gracious to you than they were to me when they nicknamed me. So I'll just leave it at that. So here's the scenario, guys. And we're going to start with you, Carl. Um, you are after uh, an F3 workout. Let's say it's Saturday morning and you're at the Panera with some of your F3 buddies. You're all sweaty and stinky, but you're going in for your favorite beverage and uh, favorite pastry. If you even do that, I don't think you do, but in case you do, um, somebody sees you and they're talking as you are going in with the posse of F3 guys and they go, hey, that's Carl Dore. And, uh, but they don't realize that you can hear what they're saying about you. What is it that you wish that you would hear them say about you, Carl? I, I think basically I just want people to understand that I'm here to help. Um, I like to, I like to hear their story. I like to share my story. Um, and through listening and communicating, I hope that they realize that I can, I can, um, I'm pretty good at, at changing things for the better, not necessarily. And I hope that they would realize that. And I think most people do. Um, I, I did, uh, I've done a little bit of introspection and, and when I ask people that question, I hear um, that I offer good counsel uh, and I offer good alternatives, I ask good questions. So I think that I would hope that they would say, he's a guy that asks a lot of questions and doesn't really tell you what to do, but gets you thinking along the lines of what maybe you should do in order to make the world a better place or make you a better person or make your relationship better with your wife or your kids or whatever. But, uh, but I've helped them along the way is what I'd like to hear them say. Well, that is good. We are going to get into more of that and people will hear that firsthand, how you actually do that. Uh, Matt, tables turned on you. Scenario is a little bit different. So you're with your family, your burgeoning family. And you are at the Whitewater Center, which we're huge fans of that as well. And somebody does the same thing. Hey, that's Matt Dore and his family. And they start talking about you, but they don't realize that you're within your shot. What is it that you wish they would say about you? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, uh, it's a similar ring to what Carl, Carl went with there. But um, obviously being younger and family, you know, I, want, I think I'd like to hear him say that um, he, he's, a, he's a good guy. He's a nice all-around person. Um, who again gives them time, um, listens to what they have to say. Um, you know, I've, I've always thought about the phrase "nice guys finish last," uh, and I always think that's uh, you know contradiction. I think you can be the nice guy who's willing to help, um, willing to stop what he's doing and, and go above and beyond for a, for a friend, for a colleague, um, for an employee, um, and kind of say you know he's always there helping with his family. Uh, same with the folks that work with him at Duray. Uh, same with colleagues and clients. Um, you know always available um, and again willing to do a little bit more um, you know to make them feel special and to, to give them what they need in that moment so um, 
kind of a little bit of service in that, I guess I'd say, you know, he, he's a, he's a man of service. Um, but again, a nice guy too, who doesn't have to get loud and, and, and rowdy about it to get things done. Um, you know, so you, you get more with honey than you do. So <laughs> I mean, what I've hoped for, um, see if it rings true. If I could just interject a little bit, Gary, you, you have, you have latched here on two peas of the same pod. <laughs> When, when Matt and I get together with our wives, they generally can't tell which one of us answered the question. Uh, <laughs> we'll say the same thing at the same time. And Matt and, and I both attended NC State, graduated in the construction program. Um, so, uh, and the glasses and the beard thing. I mean, I don't know. He got the glasses <laughs> first, but I had the beard first. Well, we don't look a thing alike either, but. Uh, the beard is very new for him. So, but yeah, I like it. it's even worse than it was with, with, the, with the look. So came out of the whole 30 deal I did in January. But anyway, so just a little background for you there. That, that we're, we resonate very, very well together, which sometimes is good, sometimes not so good. Yeah. Well, that's one of the reasons. There are a number of reasons you guys are on this episode. And that's uh, one of them is because I also believe that nice guys don't have to finish last. And uh, you guys are living proof of that, that you can be um, you can make positive impact in the lives of other people and be still um, very accomplished and um, move mountains uh, in the communities in which we live. And, um, you know, the fact that you guys are willing to tell your story. But I also think the fact that you've got a father and son working so closely in a business that can be high pressure at times. I mean, what business doesn't have pressure, right? Um, and so that's where we want to dive even more into later on. So I'll let uh, Ben go ahead and um, do your your magic. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Um, yeah, so I'll give the listeners just a quick understanding of, of who you guys are, and then I want to dive right into the story because we have a lot that we want to be able to cover. So um, Carl is the president of, of Duray Construction, which you've been running it since 2000, right? About 21 years. Right. 21 years, right. And then Matt is the integrator. Uh, so we have a father-son duo, which we're, we're obviously going to dive into those dynamics, right? The good, the bad, and the ugly of it all. Um, but Carl, I want to start with you. Take us back to 2000. Paint the picture of where you were and what led to opening that business. Okay. Um, in my career... There was, there was always something that would happen with the company I worked for, um, which we either didn't make money or they basically went out of business. And so that happened again to me in 1993 or 91. And at that point, I decided that I, from that point forward, I would be the last guy out the door. I was not going to put myself in a position again where I was working for somebody and another group, another division, another guy down the hall let things get out of hand, management didn't call him on the carpet, and all of a sudden, they're walking in going, we can't meet payroll this week. So I mm -hmm. uh, started coming in 91 with a partner. In 94, we merged with an old line construction company called Ford Construction, formed a company called Ford Collins DeRay, and we took that company from about $4 million to about $26 million, uh, in two in, in, two th in 1999, the last year I was there. And towards the end, I, I went to, we had three, four partners. We each owned 25%. Um, it allowed me to build some wealth and put some money in the bank. And at the end of 1999, I kind of came to the realization that um, 
I had to, I had to make a change. I had to either, either take control of that company and run it the way I wanted to run it and earn 51% or I needed to be on my own. I, I could no longer, and it took me about four years to figure out why I did that. Mm. I'll never forget when I realized, and it was driving across the bridge right here on Christmas, uh, on a Christmas morning, we were coming here for a company breakfast. I had a speech all prepared that I was going to, you know, kind of tell everybody what was going on. As so I'm driving across this bridge on Remount Road, I realized the reason I left was because we were not a team. Mm. We were four independent people who all had different priorities, different understandings of what was important. And we didn't work together very well. So I, back to 1999, I'm, I know I'm rambling, but um, I, I told my partners either sell me 51% or I'm leaving. And so that was a very difficult divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, but the best thing I ever did, I took on a couple uh, investors who helped me get the company started and believed in me. Um, my wife believed in me, uh, took some of the employees with me in, um, in May of 2000, we launched a Ray construction company with eight employees. We did about $1.4 million that, that year. Um, my vision of DeRay construction was I would run the projects. Marsha, who was kind of the controller CFO girl Friday would kind of pay all the bills. Um, and we do about six, seven million dollars a year and be happy and lucky. And I turned around in 2008 and we had done $42 million worth of business at 52 employees, had never done any marketing. Of course, 2008 was uh, the year that everything kind of went south. It took us a couple of years. We had backlog. And so we really felt it in 2010, 2011. Um, but anyway, 21 years later, we're still here. We survived that. We survived the pandemic. Um, and we really have survived based upon relationships that we have created uh, in adding value for our customers and people believing in us and continuing to give us business when things got tough. Um, so that's, that's kind of, that's the brief story right there. Perfect. That's it. All right. We can wrap it up. <laughs> um, All done. <laughs> yeah, great job, Carl. Uh, no, so, uh, and I, I'll tell you when Matt came along, I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know when I need to stop talking, but anyway, I don't want to occupy all the time. Yeah. Let's, let's pause before we get into, right. uh, into Matt joining. Um, you say you realized about four years after that you left because of it not being a team, right? Being individuals, right. different goals, different uh, agendas. Um, at that time of you of you leaving, you getting the investors, you bringing some employees over. What was your what was your vision for the business at that time? What did you want that to become? That's what I, that's what I'm saying. My vision really was we were going to do about eight million dollars worth, worth of business, and I would built, you know, I'd run the projects and um, when it was all over, I'd throw the keys in the mail slot and go home. I didn't really have a vision. I'd, I'd never worked. Uh, I've always, thinking back on my career, God put me in, in so many different scenarios of, of each place that I worked, I learned something new and different. And it was amazing that everything teed me up for where I am today and what I've done. And that continued through direct construction of meeting the first person who really talked to me about what is leadership and then getting a mentor and then getting into Vistage and then getting into EOS and, and, and then being able to totally let go of this thing and turn it over to Matt. I mean, it, it's just, 
it's been boom, boom, boom all the way along. First company I worked for, I learned how to estimate and a little bit of project management. The second company I worked for, I learned how to do conceptual estimating. The third company I worked for, I learned how to walk a project. Now the third company I learned that there is actually a financial statement in a construction company. <laughs> it's good to learn about. <laughs> I mean, so many of these businesses, these young project managers, they don't under, they don't ever see a financial statement. They don't understand an income, yeah. Yeah. income and balance sheet. You're never exposed to it. You don't do a budget. But Charlie Strickland introduced me to all that. He was a banker. And so I learned that. And then I worked for a guy named Ray Antonucci and I learned to walk a project. He was an incredible builder, horrible businessman. <laughs> horrible businessman. <laughs> But anyway, and so, and all that kind of built up, and then I be, then and then I started my company in 1991. Perfect. Um, and and then Matt, I want to hop over to you um, because Carl, you're already starting to hit on some of the things that I want to get to in a second. So Matt, let's let's hop over to you first and talk to us about your journey inside the business, right? Starting pretty much, I think, straight out of college, and then going from there, and now being the the integrator. Talk to us about, about that journey inside the company for you. Yeah. Um, so I went to NC State, like Carl said, same as him, um, civil engineer, undergrad, and had every intention really of, you know, we talked about it a little bit, you know, what was I going to do when I graduated uh, to 2006. Um, and I I'd kind of always assumed I would go work for a bigger company, learn, you know, some different ways, you know, that one of the... Rogers, the Balfour Bays, the bigger folks of the world, you know, you can usually start up there, learn a little bit about their systems and processes and, and take it from there. Um, always thought in the back of my head, I might come back and, you know, work with the family business and, and Carl. So that was, that was intent, but um, things happened um, during school and right after that I just ended up um, coming right back to Charlotte uh, 2006 and a um, number of things, family, family stuff as well. Uh, my mom passed away. Um, so that was a little bit of a catalyst, kind of wanted to get back home. Um, but anyway, I had a, also had a great project that, that Carl uh, and Duray Construction was doing. Biggest, still the biggest project, I guess, after change orders, Carl. Well, maybe not, but yeah, we exactly. did in uh, Scott Clark, Toyota City, um, out there off, off Independence. So that was just coming out of the ground. Yeah, I'm green, walking out of school. And so Carl stuck me out there. Uh, in the office trailer on the job site as a kind of assistant project manager doing submittals, walking the site with one of their best superintendents, a guy named Mitch McKinney, um, to kind of learn the on-site piece. It had everything you need from bad dirt to rock to precast parking deck to high-end finishes to, you know, 20-acre site. So it was kind of everything, quick education all in one. Um, so it was a perfect opportunity. Um, so that was also a catalyst. So Got to do that for, I guess, heck, we built that thing in about a year. It went pretty quick. Um, and then from there, I jumped all over the company, which I think has been great. Um, you know, obviously, I think I've, I've, you know, I'll say worked my way up to where I am currently as far as in the company. Um, one other than Carl and Marsh, I guess I've probably been here longer than, than anybody. Um, I guess you got about three or four employees, you know, some older supers who are still still here. Um, but got to come in the office, worked under a guy named David Harker for a little bit in pre-construction, got to do some project management here. I've been in, we joke, I've been in every single office in here, just from different, I'd go out in the field, I'd come back, this day left, I Mac and sit in this office for a while. Um, so I got to do that for a while, project managed for a couple of years. Uh, for some reason, we, we managed to lose pre-construction managers and estimators like it was our job. 
So I got to do that. Then I would go back to project management for a year or two. Then we'd lose another one. Then I'd be back in pre-construction. Um, so I've got to kind of, that was the, you know, all into reconstruction, but, but have got to wear all the hats um, of kind of what we do day in and day out, um, which has been a great education. Um, kind of ups and downs, like Carl said, the 08, 09, which really hit us a little later. Um, we ended up traveling more for good clients. They got to kind of do projects out of town and see what that was like. Um, and then again, for the past couple of years, I've really been focused on pre-construction um, with, with more of the estimating and such, and really kind of trying to wear the pre-construction and kind of operational hat, um, run, running the operation and kind of the business side uh, as Carl continues to step away. Um, so that was kind of my journey. Um, I didn't have, being civil, I didn't have much of the financial and, and such background. So uh, a couple of years ago, I went back to uh, Queens University, got my MBA, um, again, balance sheets and all that stuff, which is great, great to have um, to know that side of it as well. So, um, and then, yeah, um, that's kind of the long and short of it. So got to do it all, but within one company uh, and learn from you know, a guy who, who's done a great job teaching and a lot of other folks here. Um, like I said, we learn a lot from, from the, other, the other folks here, the guys in the field, especially. So. so I have to interject. There's one thing that I see with uh, great leaders uh, comes great teachability. And, and that's kind of a recurring theme that I'm hearing from both of you. Carl, you said, you, you mentioned mentors and you mentioned people that have positively influenced your life, as well as you learn from people that also made big mistakes. They may have been a great, you know, great at this one aspect, but terrible at this aspect. Well, we can learn tremendous things from those things as well. <laughs> and and yeah. Matt, you're, you're doing the same thing within the same company, which is really cool. Um, you're paying attention. So I just think that's a, an interesting point if I may take us off of a little bit of a, a jaunt here, but uh, Ben, steer me back if I need I mean, to. we go down rabbit holes all the time. So you're, yeah, you're good. I'd expect here. nothing less. Okay. But, but I know that you guys use EOS. For anybody listening, that's Entrepreneur's Operating System. If you read the book Traction or What the Heck is EOS, those are two books by Gino Wickman, you'll understand. But it's basically an operating system to help a company grow and um, scale more effectively and also ties into Vern Harnish who Gino used to work for him scaling up he wrote a book and before that um, mastering the Rockefeller habits so I'm curious and so anybody in the EOS world they know what the difference between a visionary and an integrator is but people are listening to us that have no idea. They think that we're speaking, uh, you know, in foreign languages. Uh, between this and F three, we could we could get into a whole bunch of our <laughs> own language. But um, the the question is, is what took you down? What were what were the catalyzing events, if you will, that made you see, hey, we need an operating system to help us as we're growing from what we thought was going to be an eight million dollar business with you know, a handful of people to where all of a sudden you've got dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Talk to us about that. Where did that come from? How did you go into that journey? So, um, see, it's, 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 been a, it's been a big journey. I will say that. Uh, I would, I think probably somewhere around 2000, 
as Matt said, his, his mom passed away in 2007. Um, and his, his mom's and I, my plan was always for him to go to work for somebody else. And so I wanted him close at home. We had this opportunity. Um, he mentioned he went and got an MBA. That was a requirement that we agreed on before he came to work for direct construction full time, because I knew that I could only teach him so much and I had limitations. Uh, up until 2009, I was running probably 50% of the volume of the business. So mm. if we were doing $40 million a year, I was running $20 million of those projects. Mm. And, and so I met a lady named Ann Depta through a friend who is a, a uh, kind of a coach, a leadership coach. Um, and I was so far out on my own limb that, that I really didn't understand 100% of what she was talking about with me. She came in and did a survey of, of my leadership skills, but I, I knew that something was missing in that I couldn't, the company could not grow with every decision being made in this corner office. And that's kind of where we were, but I didn't know how to get out of that box. Mm. I, I, I didn't, you know, delegation is a difficult skill. Entrepreneurs suffer from this all the time. They build this animal and then they can't figure out how to let go of it. Yeah. So after Ann, I met, and actually it happened in 2011, uh, late 2011, early 2012, three things happened to me. One, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, you can do more. You're just not doing enough for this world and for other people. And, for mm. and so that was one thing. The second thing was F3 came into my life in January, 2012, which also talked about leadership and being in the community and, and, and adding value. And then I met a man named David Norman. Uh, Not David, sure. <laughs> okay, so I got in David Norman's Vistage Group and I stayed in it for five years. And David taught me how to go from being an entrepreneur to being a CEO, a CEO and what the difference is. And that the difference between working in the business, working on the business. And so I gradually started to let go. Um, and, and then through David, we became introduced to EOS. It was interesting because one of the one of the people in our group basically left our Vistage group and went to work with EOS. And Dave was like, what's EOS? And so he went and he did the coach, he did the, the training and brought it back. And it resonated very well with me because it's kind of like you can read good to great and try to understand it, but to implement it, it's like, what do I do now? How do I do this next? And so EOS answers those questions. It tells you systematically how to run your business, how to run meetings, which is really what the basic of your business is, and also what the roles are, and talks more about an accountability chart as opposed to an organizational chart. And that resonated with me as well, in that these are, you know, I'm accountable as visionary president, whatever you want to call, it all falls on me, every single bit of it, doesn't matter. And then Matt as integrator, he pretty much has the operational side of the business and a lot of it, and so, and, and Matt and I, I've always told Matt that he will own part of this business, but he can only run this business if the people underneath of him respect him and understand that he is their leader and he's earned that role. Mm. It's interesting today, today is June 1st, 2021. And there's a, there's a little sign in my office that a good friend gave to me and it says next chapter begins six one twenty one. And so I'm a little really? bit, behind, yeah. but I'm pretty much <laughs> looking for the vine. Uh, Matt, Matt is, is pretty much running the business. Um, 
we're probably going to do something in the next couple of weeks to, to kind of make that a little more official. But um, that's kind of been the journey. And I don't know that I answered your question. I might have. But, but EOS tells you the six things in your business that are important. It puts your entire um, vision and, and one-year plan, three-year plan, 10-year plan on one sheet of paper. And everybody in the business understands it and knows it. Everybody at the Ray Construction Company knows that our purpose, why we are in business, is to create grand openings. That's what we do. And that goes, and that's not only just the balloons going off when we open a new new building, it's when somebody walks through the door. Is that a grand opening? Is that an event that they will remember? And so that's the culture that we're trying to teach. And so we did get a little bit too cultural with EOS at, at one point because you, you can get you can get too cultural and not focus on the, on the operational side. Matt's more operational, and so um, and I pretty much learned to be a visionary. I don't think I was visionary. I, I, I'm an integrator at heart. I was always a project manager. I was a great project manager. Do not give me anything to run now, because I can't do it anymore. Don't want to do it. And that's my next challenge is to get Matt to be visionary. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, usually you gravitate towards one or the other naturally, but the fact that you had to learn the visionary role and the fact that you've been able to do that makes you a great person to help uh, Matt <laughs> embrace that role too, which is really cool. But here's, here's what I heard in that. Too many roads leading to you didn't know how to get out because you're working in it, not on it. And you had somebody outside the jar help you read your label to where you could get outside of it and, and help see more clearly and put together. And I think you're absolutely right. If, you, if, if I was gonna say two things that EOS will do, get your meetings consistent and running well. And two is looking at things from an accountability chart versus an organizational chart, because an organizational chart just shows command and control. Accountability is way different. Right. So I think that's really good. Those are two really good nuggets for anybody that is struggling with too many roads leading to me. And now all of a sudden I'm forcing the glass ceiling on the company because of my capacity. That's a very common theme. Exactly. And that's one of the benefits. So yeah. Gary, I'll add to that real quick uh, if I can. The other thing that I think EOS, and I, again, I am an organizational uh, process-driven person, but the direction of EOS and one of those you know, six nuggets is to put down your processes, document them, implement them, make sure everyone knows them and understands them and follows them. That was a huge, a huge piece that, that lines with the accountability. Uh, get them all written down, even if you got to get somebody else to help you do it. Um, it goes a long way. It minimizes back and forth. It minimizes email communication when everyone knows what they're supposed to do in, inherently as the steps keep going in the process. So. Yeah, that's really good. Okay. And simplicity is a big piece of it as well. In other words, those processes need to be simple. They don't, and, and they don't need to be step-by-step. Step. You do this, then you do this, then you do this. This is the expectation of how we're going to get to where we're going to go. And these are the expectations that, and these are the things you're accountable for, which is a lot different than a laundry list of to-dos, which we yeah. really Try to stay away from. And Matt does a great job of capturing the processes 
uh, along the lines of expectations and accountabilities and not just to-do lists. So to keep going down that, that road, Matt, I think you've got a unique perspective of the integrator role by having so many different responsibilities throughout the years, right? Um, talk about how that's impacted uh, your perspective of integrator and then everybody, everybody that is in EOS takes the visionary role and the integrator role to fit kind of their own version of it. So, so also if you could speak to what your perspective of what those most important things as an integrator in a business is. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I definitely picked up a lot along the way. And again, like Carl said, I was really the one who, who as integrator, um, again, along with some other accountabilities here, um, got to define those processes um, in each of our subsections. And EOS lays it out. You know, you need at least, um, I guess it's three departments or buckets or chairs, you know. You got your core processes of what you do, operations. Um, you got your sales and marketing. They can be separate. How do you find new stuff to put in your operations widget? And you got accounting, finance. How do you, you got to keep track of where the widgets are going and who's doing what with them? Um, so with those three, again, I didn't do as much in accounting finance. And those, those processes um, are very good. We have a CFO who is very process-oriented. So she does a great job of that. Um, but no, you're 100% right. And one thing that I took out of that from, from seeing all that, knowing exactly what pre-construction does and working in, as a project manager and assistant PM out in the field with the supers, you get a handle of each piece of your business. And so one thing that I like to do with new employees that we've implemented is basically, you know, some, some folks will come on, it's probably easier because we are, you know, smallish size company, but I want them to all know what each of those team members does. Not, you know, in full, but we give everybody the entire process sheet, you know, it's the old, well, you know, what, what's he doing? What's she doing? It's like, well, there's a, here's a ton of stuff that they're doing that you don't even see or think about. Um, to Carl's point of a balance sheet, who's, you know, what does our CFO do all day? You know, she just stare at spreadsheets? Well, kind of, but, you know, here, here's what she's actually doing. Um, the other 500 things that need to get done. Um, so I think within that, being able to see the big picture and being able to share with your employees, not necessarily the entire, the entire big picture, but why each of those pieces and each of our team members are important um, to each other. It helps everybody hold their own accountability more and better so that they realize if I don't, you know, this person can have a trouble doing X, Y, or Z because I was supposed to do this. And that's the only way the team works together. Um, so I think, like I said, definitely by, by touching each piece along the way, um, allowed me to see the bigger picture and want to share that bigger picture with everybody. Um, and Ben, what was your other half of that question? That yeah, yeah, sorry, no, it was, <laughs> I, after I asked it, I realized that's going to end up being way too long to be one question. <laughs> um, so the second part is, uh, what are those, those two, three things that you view as the most important roles or responsibilities for the integrator? I got you. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and again, I think when I took over integrator, um, Carl was still integrating a little bit more than probably he needed, you know, but we needed somebody in that role and we didn't have a visionary. So we needed Carl to jump to that next spot. Um, and as he said, over the past number of years, he truly has Gary. I think you, you, you can see the transformation of Carl going from an integrator and operations guy to a visionary. Um, and I've had, you know, plenty of folks, uh, employees and clients say, say that, you know, he's, he's turned to this wise sage, you know, is truly leading and, you know, as opposed to what he used to do, which is great. Um, so I think from, from my side, integrator, um, it is really that 
connection of pieces and because that is in our business especially that's where the most balls get dropped um you know our our project managers know how to dig in and buy out a project but you know does it successfully make it to accounting and the change order process doesn't get slowed down with with you know the cogs in the wheel or something's not sitting on a desk where it's supposed to be um and, and everyone knows where the information is how it gets passed back and forth um one of the biggest changes we made uh, it's been a number of years now as we kind of went from that mid-size to a little larger is, is how, we, how we handle our project management role and that we used to be project managing estimators. We, we used to do it all in-house. If a project came in the door, it was one, two, or three. It was me, Mike Johnson, and John David, whoever else is here. And it was, this is your job. You know, estimate it when you got time. Get it out the door. If we get it, you're going to run it and take it from there. Uh, mm. and, and again, you realize that too many things get dropped. The estimates get put on the back burner because project managers are dealing with a thousand things every day, all day. And so we weren't as good as, as that. We weren't as good as project managing. We weren't as good at estimating and pricing. So we had to split uh, and do this different model. And then that's kind of where we EOS, we're to kind of integrate each of these sections. Now we have a pre-construction department and operations department. They're totally separate, but that handoff between those two is one of the biggest, cr most crucial pieces, you know, basically for, couple weeks to a couple months, depending on how it is. Pre-construction is head in, digging in, finding all the things and answers and pricing they can on a project. And then in a very short time, it, all that knowledge, all that information has to get transferred to a totally separate team. Um, and so that's kind of one of the biggest pieces of the integrator, making sure that handoff is well so that we do get everything we can to Carl's point, create a grand opening for our client um, kind of on day one, as well as on day finish um to create a grand opening so um, and, and carl you would um something matt just said reminded me of uh, something you had talked about a few minutes ago you talked about how you got to a point in the business with eos that you were more cultural than operational yes um, tell us a little bit about what that looked like um looks like not making money <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what you know, do you mean by that? Were all the conversations around I mean, culture and not, not actual, this is what we need to do X's and O's or, or what did it look like for you? A little bit, a little bit of that. I, I became, you know, again, I became more visionary probably than was good for the company because we didn't actually have a full-time integrator and my focus became so much about culture, Yeah, about, you know, hitting that, hitting that point of, and so we kind of missed the point in EOS uh, of process. We, we, we knew what it was there, but we kind of skipped over it. Um, I think we all had, a, we, we took the, the, the leadership team to uh, an EOS conference in Atlanta. Uh, and that really kind of woke us up to some things that we had missed and needed to focus on. And, um, and, and we also got bogged down in some projects we probably shouldn't have been involved with, but that's a different, that's different. But um, I think you have to be careful with, with, I needed to be careful with the OS and that I was really more, more focused. Our meetings were much more about being sure we were building the right culture and not necessarily holding everyone accountable for the things that they needed to be accountable for. In other words, vision, values, mission, and purpose are important. And yeah, it's great if everybody knows what they are, but if you're not making money, it doesn't matter how good your culture is because you're not going to be here. Mm -hmm. 
You have to. Yeah. Have and, I, and I do think that EOS gives you the tools to to be here and to make money and to, and to be a better company. We are a much better company now with EOS. It was more of just be careful. Don't let the leader. And, and that's why I think that the value of the visionary and the, and the integrator is so important in, in having both of them and not the same person. And some companies, you got to be the same person. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, the, that integrator is, is so important to, 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 to do his job, which he's in charge of p and I mean, that's, that's the integrator's job. It's not the visionary's job. And so grab that visionary and say, hey, you're going to have to go sit down for a while. We got too much to do. Yeah, can can rein the visionary in every once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> you hit on a, a a point that I think is really important, um, and that is, and especially in closely held multi generational firms, right, where um, you have to have a division of responsibilities along with the empowerment to do those responsibilities. And EOS does kind of make that more simple versus, hey, my business, when you earn the right to be in my chair, then you can make the decision, shut up and go back. You know, I've seen that way too many times, right? <laughs> it's, it One of the two joys of my life, Gary, has been the fact that over the last, I would say 18 months to two years, I've literally watched the questions turn from my office to Matt's office. That's Project cool. managers, they don't come to my office. Yeah, that's cool. Go to his office. And that means, that, that tells me that we're doing the right thing. That he's he's respected the leader of the, of the company. He's their resource. You know, I'll go visit their projects and I'll ask a lot of questions, but I'm not, I don't want to be the big problem solver. Um, he, he still gets my big problems, though. <laughs> I still get Matt's big problems, and that's okay. That's what I'm here yeah, for. That's right. Uh, I, I think it, it, at this point in my life, I consider myself a consultant for direct construction. A very highly paid consultant, but a consultant. Yeah. Uh, well, good consultants should be highly paid. So <laughs> how do you, um, like, for anybody listening to this that either has uh a son or a daughter in the business or even, you know, another generation, but you've got multiple generations in there. Tell us about some of the things that you learned that worked well and some things that if you knew what you knew now, what you would do differently. Matt's laughing. I was about to say, I don't know. I would say uh, genetics help. Like Carl said, we, we're on the same page on a lot of things inherently. Um, and I've, you know, through Vistage, I met a few folks who were also in family businesses. And, and, you know, Gary, they obviously had much different dynamics. You know, everyone does. Um, but to where, you know, it was, you know, almost yin and yang. And I always want to go left and they always want to go right. Uh, and again, I, maybe it's because I've been here for, you know, 16 years, whatever it is. And I've, I've worked under, under Carl, but I do think um, it's not a good answer because our listeners, listeners can't really use that, you know, be like, you know, the person you're working under, but that doesn't really, it doesn't really fly. Yeah. Um, I do think that's been a great same page for us in, in, um, in, in a lot of ways. That's a, a very key element in the fact that in how many businesses 
is is the, the whether it's father or mother or son, whatever. No, is the is the parent does the parent want it worse than the child, or does the child want it worse than the parent? And so, if you know, there's one thing in EOS that's very interesting, and, and it's called the same page meeting, which is between the integrator and the visionary, and and I think that's a key element to successful generational pass down is you have to be on the same page. You have to both have the same goals and, and want it. You know, if, if Matt was ready to take over the business now and I didn't want to give it up, we'd be button heads and there'd be nothing we could do about it. But I don't think that Matt and I, I mean, I don't recall we've ever really had a, a big argument or a big crosswords or about anything. I, I've always felt that if you learn by your mistakes, that there's great progress there. And I've also felt that in this business, in this company, I have made the biggest mistakes of anyone associated with it because I've always made the biggest decisions. And when those big decisions are wrong, it's expensive and it costs money. And so that's the shoes he has to jump into. And that's what I want to teach him is, is how to avoid the big mistakes that I've made. But I don't have an answer for that question because we've not had, there hadn't been a rocky road for the two of us. And again, I think a lot of it is genetics. I, I also think that, you know, losing his mom was, was in some ways the worst thing that happened, but some ways it has benefited us, I guess. I, I, you know, he would have gone somewhere else and he may not even be here today if, it, if that hadn't happened. Yeah, we can give thanks in spite of what we go through, um, but we can still give thanks and we can still find gratitude. And, you know, there are a couple of little points that you've uh, mentioned here that I want to underscore for anybody listening. And that is, you know, Matt, when you came, um, it sounded to me like there was no entitlement. Carl, what I heard from you was, People need to respect you kind of on your own. And you learned pretty much every job. You didn't come in with the silver spoon. Uh, son of Carl, parking place right next to the door next to Carl. You know, I didn't hear not that entitlement at all. And so, um, you know, the ones that I've seen do it well in a multi-generation family-owned business is been where the, in some cases, the patriarch who set the tone made the next generation work almost that much harder just to prove to the rest of the team because they knew that that was going to have to be because it, it could not be seen as an entitlement zone. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I agree there. And I will, um, I like how Carl's point about, we'll call it the same page meeting, um, but whatever you want. But I do think that, you know, for success, there's got to be that truly open honest back and forth like cross but what what not necessarily how much do you want it but what are the ins and outs of the business you know what are the surprises that you know we're hiding under the rug that you don't know because you're not in the full leadership team yet you know again carl's been very good about you know open and honest and in the loop on everything that happens um i think that is that is key uh to a successful kind of relationship and transition um to really like i said knowing everything um, good, bad, and ugly about what it is. What are, what are those processes of communication and decision-making in the business between you two? And, and how has that 
especially over the last, you said 18, 24 months, Carl, of decisions all going over or questions going over to Matt. So over these last few years, what's the communication in addition to those, those same page meetings and then same thing with the decisions? Well, what I've always told my project managers and I tell Matt is the only thing I need to know about is what somebody's going to call me about. I want you to tell me about the problem before the phone rings and an owner's calling me saying, this is a big problem. And so that's, that's a huge burden to put on them, but I'd rather they start thinking about, well, what do I need to tell Carl or, or now what do I need to tell Matt versus every time the phone rings, I've got a surprise on the other end that I got to try to talk down off the ledge. Um, other than that, Matt and I try to meet, we try to meet every two weeks for this visionary integrator meeting. Um, yeah, it's about once a month. We're probably... <laughs> a lot less formal than we had been. Uh, we were a little bit better about it prior. Um, you know, with uh, COVID, Matt and I have probably been the two people who have been in the office more than anybody. Um, and I spend more time in his office than he spends in mine, I will say that. And I bug him a lot more than he bugs me. But, um, and again, my 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 part is, is I, I try to ask questions and, um, and it, it's really hard with some of the project managers. Matt's pretty good at it, but the project managers always want to give me an answer. I'm like, I don't want an answer. I want you to go do what you got to do to fix the problem or deal with it or say it in the problem. You don't need to come tell me what you're going to do. I just see that there's an issue out there that needs to be addressed. Here's a couple of my thoughts on it and I go do something about it. Uh, and so that's what I try to do with Matt as well. In that it, I don't want to be an answer for him. I want to be, have you thought about this? What would happen if we did this? Um, and to me, that's, that's more of the type of visionary I am than uh, I, I'm not a out of the box, big picture, crazy idea kind of guy. But if you give me something, you give me an idea I'm pretty good at making it better of asking the questions and figuring out um, how can we make this better? What can we add? What can we do differently? That at the end of the day, when that owner walks in that building or that subcontractor, you know, whatever it is, it's going to, it's going to be a better turnout for everybody. Um, that's another thing I've always tried to teach Matt and always teach our team is, I've always been good at looking at problems and, and issues from both sides. Uh, one of our core values is do what is right. And in order to do what is right, you have to look at the other guy's opinions and feelings and, and where he's he coming from um, and dig in and, and understand truly what's the validity of his claim. Um, We've been in business 21 years. Um, we've only been in one lawsuit and that was where we sued a guy who didn't pay us. He didn't show up in court and we got a judgment. We never got paid, but, <laughs> but I, I, I have always believed that there's not any problem that we can't solve outside of the courtroom. Yeah. Once you get to court. We know who wins. And it's called the attorneys. <laughs> exactly right. It is so expensive. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you just mentioned one of your core values there. And one of the things that's so impressive uh, is you can tell within the company the, the purpose, the mission, the vision, the values, all of it is very clearly defined and communicated. Um, what was the process of developing those inside the company? Uh, yeah, as I'd say, we, we really, um, Carl mentioned him already, David Norman really kind of led us through that process. Um, Carl, I guess that was right at the start of EOS. We've had different values over the years. Um, we've had different slogans. When we started EOS, though, we kind of took a step back and re redid it um, in, in kind of the EOS fashion to create um, kind of the way they do. You know, everyone has a quote-unquote mission statement or you know, they call them different things. Um, but EOS has its values and then its vision. And so we really fell on that. And it was a, you know, two day offsite, big leadership team brainstorming session. Um, we just talk through it, throw them up on the wall, craft them, move them around. Like Carl said, he's very good at, at, at wordsmithing. So he kind of had the final draw, I'll say, on most of our values and our, 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 our purpose of creating grand openings. Um, again, kind of, you know, multiple with, with, some double entendres and things like that, but um, it was it was a lot of head work, you know, about what's truly important to us, and like you said, simplify down to a couple of things that really mean the most to us, and what are the couple of things that we truly can use to make those decisions every day, uh, and we can share with our team to do the same. So, again, do what's right is is a big one. Uh, mm -hmm. so our, our five values echo true in that, I think. Um, and and then with your vision of building leaders committed to others uh, it has the word building in it right but that's a different type of construction so how how do you weave that into the the core business of what you actually do um yeah so again that is actually we labeled it through through aos that was our 10-year target um building leaders committed to others we actually just recently put it up in our training room um, and we're very into that. And you're right, that as well as kind of got the double entendre. Uh, we are building leaders in the industry you know, who are committed to others. And we're also trying to build leaders, our people here. Um, and so, again, while we obviously promote you know, great building and making sure we're doing everything needed um, to create that grand opening, uh, we have done some um, you know, internal training and, and, and through some folks, Tom Lane with One Team Leadership, we're trying to push most of our leadership or our, our, our management team into that um, as well as kind of having speakers where we can COVID makes it hard, you know, bringing folks in. Um, we do very focus on the fact that we want to be building leaders. Um, like Carl said, we want, we want our team members. And again, we are in an industry of, of general con contractor in that we, we are mostly management and everybody. We have three hourly employees. Everyone else is, is salaried and they're either superintendents or the guys on site making tough decisions every day, or there are project managers who are here in the office and out in site, you know, making hard decisions every day about how to deal with issues. So we want to build leaders that can, you know, here's a couple of thoughts, but you go, you go make that decision, make it right. Let me know what you did. And if it was wrong and we got to deal with it, we'll do it on the backside and we'll figure out how to make it better next time. So. Um, I love it because it's, it's empowering those people in leadership management positions, which is going to make the business run smoother it's going to build them up and it makes both of your lives easier because then you're no longer the keystone in the company. Absolutely. Yeah. 
in EOS, you meet, we meet once a quarter um, and uh, we do an offsite. And then every, every December, we do a two day offsite with the leadership team. But the, the start of EOS, when, when you sign up with your implementer, um, the, your first offsite quarterly, basically you build rocks and, and rocks are the, the big things you got to get accomplished in the next 90 days. It'll make the business better or make yourself better or, or improve in some way. And then the second quarterly meeting, when you begin EOS, you talk, you, you start digging in on that value, vision, mission, purpose, three-year target. And, and like Matt said, that, that building leaders committed to others was our 10-year target. Um, we've now changed that and um, we've, we've given it more of a, uh, I guess you would say, or um, what do we want, 30 repeat? Yeah, it's more of a directional focus on where we really think we excel and what we want to do with our company, a little more direction. Again, building, like we, that's always, we put it up in the wall. We don't want to lose it. It's still a piece of who we are. Um, but we, we needed more of a, a focus on how we're making decisions about the projects we want to pursue uh, and who we want to become as we grow. So We also thought it was going to be very hard to measure in 10 years whether we had that. Yeah, that. that's uh, fair. Um, and I think in the beginning, it was an aspirational goal. It was pretty good. Uh, but the same thing with our core values. We, did, we want them to be actionable and not aspirational. Yeah. Um, I got to interject a couple things. One is, I, 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 here's the question that I want you to answer, but give me a little pause first. So here's the question. What have you done or what have you had to do from uh, core values as you are hiring, but also firing, firing an offender. Maybe you haven't had to do that, but I want you to think about that. And then I want you to answer oh, that. But we, we, we can tell you a story about that. <laughs> I want to hear that because there's always a story. If there's, if, if those are just merely platitudes, there will never be a story because you aren't going to take any action, either proactively on hiring or firing somebody. If that, so, so, I'm so glad that you emphatically said, hey, there's a story. <laughs> so that's number one. But the second thing that's the observation is, again, going back to this early comment, you guys are, are both very teachable and the willingness to spend money in Vistage, that's not a cheap monthly deal, but you've sought somebody outside the jar like a David Norman, who's really good. He's, he was our coach for, I think, six years, something like that at, at BGW. Um, so one, that, that's really important. The, the second thing is, is you got Tom Lane, who I used to work with him at Bank of America, so you can tell him that. Uh, he, he's very good at what he does with uh, one team leadership. Uh, very good. And so you're investing, and that's not an inexpensive check either. So I just want to say to anybody out there, if you, if you think that you can just do it all your, on your own and do self-help, you can get so-and-so far with it. But you, if you want to move fast and move bigger and, and farther, you got to have somebody that knows what they're doing to help you on the outside. So back to the question, tell me the story, Carl. <laughs> so, so what? Leave names out of this to protect the yes. I won't put any one good rule for anybody in a construct in, in any business is do not have a father and a daughter working for you. Oh so, yeah. So we had a very, very good superintendent 
one of our better superintendents and his daughter came to work for us in the accounting department. Mm. Um, and we, we came to learn that she was, she, she was given, she did not do payroll, but she was given uh, payroll check stubs to put into mailboxes of the superintendents. They were sealed. We determined that she was opening them and looking at, at that. Oh, wow. She found out information somehow, yeah. She, she was taking some information she shouldn't have. And shouldn't, And so the leadership team hears about this from our CFO. And this is the daughter of our best superintendent. Mm. So what do we do? Well, what's the core value say? Do what's right. Teams come first. How does it, what does it speak to our team if we allow someone to do what's wrong and then we just turn their cheek because we we don't want to lose the superintendent so um anyway we fired her uh, really wasn't a hard decision but had some pretty big implications to go down the road um but anyway i won't go into all the details of that eventually the, the father left the company as well and it did not go well um Went, went okay for a while. There was a big blow up and then it calmed down. Anyway, there were other issues, but um, and there have been quite a few instances like that where we, we I, I am always asking everyone in the company, when you make decisions and they're, they're tough decisions, they're not tough if you look at those five core values and you, you think about What's the team? And the team is not just to reconstruction. We're involved in so many different, we've got a team building a brewery. We've got a team building a quick trip. We've got a team building this. We've got a team of superintendents. We've got a team, we've got a leadership team. We've got project manager team. All these teams have to work together, but they all have different interests. But in the big picture, at, at any point in time, when you look at decision, there's a team involved in it. And what's the, what's, how does that team get impacted by the decision you're making? You know, do what's right. One of our core values is kind of kind of funny one. It's called question, listen, speak. Ask a question and listen to the answer before you speak. So don't don't ask questions to respond. Ask to understand, to comprehend, to really dig in and listen. Um, and that's a tough core value. Um, so fund matters is one of our core values. We think we should be having fun doing this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I left one out, Matt. Uh, do first. Uh, question is to speak. Um, do what's right. WTL uh, works with passion. It's a, it's it's WTF Dairy Queen. Our <laughs> 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 acronym for. <laughs> So anyway, but work with passion. You know, if you're not if you're not passionate about this stuff, you're not having fun doing it. It's a hard job. Yeah. Do something else. Go find something that you really enjoy doing and and, and can be passionate about. But uh, can you think of another example, Matt, where core base really came into play? Um, I'm firing people. Yeah, everyone. No, <laughs> um, no. I mean, you know, we've let people go that just you know they're not cutting it for their job you know we could probably make it work but it's not the best interest of the team you know we had an accounting assistant sweet as sugar god bless her soul but she just couldn't do the job you know and you feel bad 
Um, we've had the other, I'll say infractions having to deal with, you know, personality conflicts and things that come up and um, there's, yeah, nothing less fun than letting somebody go, even, you know, to Carl's point, if there's an incredibly valid, absolutely reason, no question in your mind what's right or what's wrong is what needs to happen. It's still always hard. So, um, but again, we hold up to those five values um, and, and you do what you have to do. So it, it's a great guiding light. Like Carl said, there's a lot of hard decisions and we tell our team, it's okay to make hard decisions and you really can't make a, a, you know, there's no right or wrong on a hard decision about which way to go, who to use on this project. You know, those are just decisions that it could go a little better. It could go a little worse. And then there's decisions that are truly right and wrong where you know that that is not what you should do. So, and those are honestly easier and maybe tougher on the consequences side, but they're easier to make. So the fact that you, you, um, fired an offender that had tremendous consequence and potential consequence. That's the difference between preference and conviction. Conviction, you will do it to your own hurt. Preference, you'll only do it as long as the wind's blowing your way. So I commend you for that. I do wanna ask you though this, cause this is really important as other people are listening to this too. How do you hire for those core values because those are not binary right so how what is it what's part of your interview process that helps you determine whether they're going to be a good fit from a core value standpoint we we've got a pretty good process on hiring um and and generally matt will make the initial contact and talk a little bit about skill and that, you know, experience and if there's interest in that type of thing. And then I will do a cultural fit call. Um, and we've got kind of an agenda with some questions on it. Um, I get into a little bit of core value on that, um, but we've tried to generate questions that will resonate with core values. Um, you know, tell me about the best team you've ever worked on. Mm. And, and okay, now tell me what made that a good team. You know, have you ever been asked, have you ever been put in a position where you had to make a decision you just weren't comfortable with? What did you do? Those are the kind of questions that you can ask and get into core values. So, um, and I still don't think I'm a very, I, I don't think we're very good interviewers. I think hiring is such a crapshoot. I, I wish there was a, a magic bullet. That, that's probably the toughest thing we do is hire. And boy, we've made some big mistakes. Yeah. Well, that's very, why I asked the question because very expensive. I don't know the answer. We used, um, yeah, we used a couple of retained search agencies, for a while, which was interesting. Um, and um, we've done we've done retained searches. We've done the headhunter thing. We've done um, Titus Talent. <laughs> we've tried everything. Yeah. We, our process is good, but I agree at the end of the day, um, you know, we've hired, we've hired a lot of salesmen, you know, and they are great at interviewing. That's what they do. They interview well. And so that's the hardest one to be, you know, you ask these great questions, man, they can tell you good stories about the toughest thing they worked on. Yeah, that's, we, we joke about that. Some of our best hires are literally the second or third offer we made and we had multiple qualified candidates. First guy would turn us down. Well, we'll have to go with this guy. You know, we, he'll do a good job, but he's rock star. It's like, God, we're terrible at this. 
but um, I do think we have a good process, like Carl said. I do think we ask good questions. Um, you know, that they can hit it, hit what we're trying to find. But yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. We've we've I've hired a ton of people, and I think recently we've had some good hires. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll stick it out. But no, I think you got to you got to feel it out. Um, again, you got to use a little bit of your gut, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, I think definitely have a process is one thing I'll say. We didn't used to. Uh, we fell into the trap of hiring. From, we call it the pool of one. You know, you know, first guy that replies, oh man, you know, he's, he's done a job like we do. Uh, he's, you know, he's here and, and breathing and standing in front of us now. Definitely. Let's make him an offer. Um, yeah. But get, get that process written. Like Carl said, it's helped with our cultural call. And again, you're not going to weed everyone out. You know, you're going to have some hires that aren't, aren't as effective as you should be, but, but set that process and follow it. You know, we have kind of a, a call, cultural call, uh, and then we bring them in for an in-person interview with our entire leadership team. And then we do some sort of follow-up on the backside. Uh, usually we also do some sort of a personality um, test, you know, culture index we used to use. Um, what's the one, Carl, you always like the uh, disc? Well, we all, everybody gets a disc. Yeah, just something that gives you a little insight and helps yeah, you ask better questions. To actually understand the disc assessment. Yeah. We've done Colby, not on employees, but we've done Colby on our leadership team. And so I think one thing that that you mentioned, Gary, that I would tell anybody is that the value to me of what I learned in Vistage, and Matt was in Vistage for about three and a half years, of just the exposure of understanding. And I guess you can go out and read this stuff, or if you go to a business school, you learn about it. I came up, I mean, I was nose down and I didn't. You know, I learned the nuts and bolts of construction, but I didn't know anything about it. You know, emotional quotients and and how to hire and fire people, and and of course, firing's not that hard. It's just it's hard emotionally, but it's not that hard to do. Yeah, yeah. I got coached on that by the, one of the best. <laughs> Very simple. It's like a four second conversation. I've made a decision. You're not going to like it. <laughs> you're not working here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you're right. Emotionally, it's it's very difficult if you care. If you care, yeah, good point. Yeah, I, well, I, I, we could probably go for a couple of days with all the stuff that you guys have gone through and just like the, the stories, that's exactly what we're looking for. Examples of that, the fact that this ain't easy. Um, the hiring part, of, you know, is is difficult but if you don't have a benchmark to go against you know the 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 pool of one it becomes a trap for many <laughs> yes ben what else do you got for these guys well actually the question that you had just asked i had written down because on your guys's website it talks about accomplishing incredible things when people work on what energizes them and that seems to be a theme throughout right the you're having fun you're getting people doing the right things um, so yeah, I, I was going to ask literally the same question, Gary. So no, I, I think we'll, we'll probably let them go for now, even though I don't know if we got to half of the questions I wanted to ask you, this has been an amazing conversation. So, uh, Carl and Matt, any final thoughts or, or any final things you want to share before we, uh, before we sign off here? Matt, I, I, you know, um, I think the whole thing about, about, Running a business is is understanding um, really the values that you want to, to use to run that business, and how do you find people that align align with those core values? 
and, and have the passion that you do because uh, we've got a group in here now um, that, that they love what they do. They love working here. I mean, we're very comfortable. We're, we're putting some plans in place to not, not necessarily incentivize them, but, but make it, it, it just a little more attractive for them to be here. Um, but they actually, they actually love it here. And, mm. and that's just such a great feeling. You know, I mean, I've got superintendents in Bethany for 21 years since we started the place. My, our CFO has been with me since 1994. Wow. Um, that speaks and so, volumes. And Matt's going to have to run her off after I leave. I, she, she's not going anywhere. But, um, you know, and, and we had a lot of longevity in people, which is, is not, I, I have to say, has not happened over the last few years. Um, we've, we did have a, a lot of turnover, I would say, between 2010 and 2018, 19. Yeah. Um, and the business was in turmoil. Not, not, the business of construction, I think, was in turmoil. Trying to recover from the downturn, yeah. people moving all over the place. Everybody was hiring anybody they get their hands on. And so we feel very fortunate that we have built a team um, that understands what we're all about and wants to be here. You know, and I think we communicate that well. We, we uh, anyway, I'll leave it there. Yeah. Thank you. Matt, um, any final thoughts on your end? Yeah, I think, I think definitely the same um, to Carl's point, you know, y'all hit on hiring and firing. Good people are worth their weight in gold. Take care of your people. Um, if you got good ones, um, and um, that, that's probably my biggest one. But, and also I think for me, you know, obviously with, you know, Carl is, is a, a great mentor and stuff, but get out, you know, see different things, read books. Again, the more I've learned and, and, and grow, you know, the one team leadership with Tom Lane, you know, experience that, um, you know, get yourself and your company, you know, connected with other folks, talk about this stuff, um, get out there you know, in round tables and groups, whatever it may be. Uh, I think you learn so much from other people in other places. Things like this podcast, Gary and Ben. So thank y'all. Um, I think it, it goes a long way, just you know, mixing things up and getting new ideas. Again, without EOS, like Carl said, without David Norm, without him getting involved, who knows where where the regular structure would be. So I'd say continue to push that and use the resources you have and, and try and find more every day. So well, perfect. Well, thank you both so much. I'm going to put links in the show notes to to the, your guys' website because I think the way you put it together and communicate is something everybody should be checking out. And then also to your your LinkedIn pages as well. So any other place you want people to check you guys out? Yeah, that's pretty much where we live. Yeah. Look up their website. And uh, one other observation. You said early on, Carl, that the reason you left was you weren't, the four of you weren't a team. And if you listen to the last, you know, a couple minutes ago, or not even, one of the things that I've heard very clearly kind of throughout the entire podcast was the importance of team. And so, you know, even that painful moment that was an inflection point of why you left, that was used for good for many other people of finding the right team. It wasn't that they were bad people. You, you just needed alignment with the team and you, you, you guys are able to do that. So I commend you for what you're doing. I think it's really cool 
that you get to have a father and son working together like that. Um, I always would have loved to have something like that with my dad as we got older. Um, but anyway, I just think that's really cool. So thank you guys so much for taking your time. Ben, thanks for being such a great co-host. And uh, you asked the intelligent questions and I'll just ask the rabbit trail once. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, thank you. We had no idea where we were going to go with this thing, but it was fun. I enjoyed yeah. it. I like I like telling my story. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. we appreciate you sharing. Absolutely appreciate y'all. Thanks so much.